Hello, hello, and welcome to Review 2. This week we're Review 2-ing Songs of Experience. I really love this. Production, good. Themes, good. Lyrics, fantastic. Bono is questioning his mortality. It's catchy, but do you know what else is catchy? Bubonic Plague. <laughs> this, this is, it's really bad. Refugees, worst... It's a worse pun than Review 2. Nothing to stop this being the best part ever. I thought you were going to say that, not sing it. I didn't sign off on singing. I lied. Well, I suppose it's a joyful opening to the podcast. Welcome back, Tyler. Welcome back. Uh, Welcome to our long-awaited Songs of Experience review. Uh, It's long-awaited by us, mainly, (laughs) uh, and very few other people. Uh, but this is it. This is the reason we started doing the the Review 2 podcast all those many months ago in September last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, and it's, it's finally here. And um, how do you feel about this now? Um, trepidatious. Yeah. How did you feel... Um, I mean, the we should, we should mention the album leaked, but we didn't listen to the album until the official release day. Yep. So how that that Thursday that Friday how how were you feeling? Okay, so I was trepidatious, uh, which is a needlessly complicated word, because this album has such a lot to live up to. We both really rate Songs of Innocence. I'm still getting used to that album, and as we said on that predictions Songs of Expectations episode, these albums are tied together. So if Songs of Experience is terrible, then it sort of drags down Songs of Innocence as well, which is which which would be really annoying. So I was excited for it, but I think you did a better job in not listening to the songs before the release because I did listen to Get Out of Your Own Way. I didn't listen to American Soul, but I I, I think you didn't listen to you didn't. What did you actually heard before it came out? I'd heard the little things that give you away. Mm-hmm. Um, because they played it at the Josh Tree Talk. I think that's fair enough, yeah. yeah it yeah. would have been odd if you'd put your hands <laughs> over your ears. Yeah, I wasn't going to you know, get down on my hands and knees going, no, 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 don't play it. <laughs> Although I wanted to. Yeah. Um, so I, I heard Little Things That Give You Away, then I heard The Blackout, and and I just thought, no, this isn't the way I want this album to go. Yeah. Because I kind of realised from, mainly from looking at how Noel Gallagher was releasing his album, it was like, for the for the month before the album came out, he released one song a week up until the album coming out, and I thought, no, if, yeah. if this is the way they bring out albums these days, if this is how what what the music business does, then I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want yeah. I don't want part of that. I want to be able to buy an album and have mostly, aside from one or two, maybe one or two singles, I want to have mostly new music on the day that I, I get to listen to the album. Yeah, I'm learning that lesson in a hard way because I much, much preferred my listening experience, oh, this is going to get confusing, with <laughs> with Songs of Innocence because I hadn't heard anything and then it just came out of the blue, the way that an album used to arrive, really, apart from maybe a couple of singles. Yeah, so, but that, maybe that's part of our conditioning because that's how we grew up with, you know, with music yeah. and how music comes out. And I think... Maybe we're dinosaurs now, but it's just a different way that that, that they do that these days, mm. and it's not a way that I particularly enjoy. I like the idea of buying an album. Uh, mm. I know uh, I was talking to a few, a few friends of mine and a few artists they're into. Um, they are singles based. They they don't bring out a lot of albums. It's they'll they'll bring out a single a song when it's ready. Yeah, and for me that's just a little strange because I enjoy the format of the album. I enjoy 
the activity of listening to an album. Yeah, it's a journey, isn't it? Yeah, whereas some people will sit down and, and watch a film. I'm not really into into films that much. So the, my activity is to sit down and listen to an album and really indulge in that album. And the difficulty when you've had half the album already released is that you become really familiar with half of it and then not at all familiar with the other bit. And it, it just makes it a very unbalanced experience. And I've had that with bands that I really enjoy re- releasing albums recently. And I should have learned my lesson. I should have tried to stay, apart from the blackout and little things, I should have tried to completely ignore it. So it's kind of my own fault, but oh well, there we go. Yeah. Um, but So I, I listened to Little Things That Give You Away and um, Blackout. And I, at work, they always have the radio on. And you two have been getting a lot of airplay this time round on various stations. So I would run over to the, the radio and turn it off <laughs> if they if the DJ said they were gonna play you two next. It's sort of that's a bit odd because it looks like the sort of behaviour you're exhibiting is the, the behaviour of a non U two fan. Yeah, but I just didn't want to ruin um the day of you know, getting that album. Uh, I'd ordered the deluxe uh vinyl version from the website where you get the CD in it and everything, and yep. it's a lovely package. We'll go into the the artwork in a, in a minute, um, but and as I've seen online, uh, I wasn't the only person. It didn't arrive on the day. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you about this. No, I I ordered that a month before release, as I'm sure a lot of people did because there was incentive uh, ticket incentives there for for you to pre-order the album from the official website. Yep. Um, when I ordered pre-ordered the Joshua Tree, that arrived on the day. Yep. Uh, so I was naturally expecting this to arrive on the day. So the the uh, December the first, which was a Friday, um, I was sat at home, literally waiting for this parcel all day. Yeah. Not listening to the album. <laughs> well, mine arrived very promptly. My lovely CD format, because I am. Neither a cool person who likes vinyl and collects vinyl, nor an up-to-date person who listens online. So my CD arrived presently. And, and where did you order that from? Uh, just Amazon, I think. Not the website? No. Um, because I didn't trust the website from, from all the other things that have been going on. But I actually, I've registered a complaint because I don't, I don't think it's fair. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't think it's fair that yeah. I, should, I should pre-order this. I, I am a fan who is investing more money than, than you know, the average burr into... Mm into the band and I don't think that I should be punished for that and having to wait what turned out to be arriving six days late mm-hmm. I don't I don't think that's fair when everybody else who was paid nothing for the album can just go straight onto Spotify or iTunes yeah. and listen to it straight away yes it's needlessly punishing fans though yeah no I took completely agree so I guess the thing that we're saying is a lot of people have had that experience this is getting annoying uh-huh. already. Um, they've had that happen to them, and Tyler at least feels your pain. Um, I waited until the end of work on Friday. I waited to be travelling home on the train to actually put it on. So I didn't want to listen to it when I was, you know, between, you know, in like in my dinner hour or something like that. So that's when I actually listened to it, and I've not listened to it that many times. I'd say it's probably only about four or five times in total, which isn't very much for a U2 fan. So these songs are still very much in the settling period. They're still finding their place, and I'm still trying to figure out where they belong, essentially, in my U2 canon. You know, are they better than this song? Are they better than that song? Yeah. 
Um, so that's why I was a bit worried about listening to this. And it makes me very worried about doing this review because I think in about a week, a month, definitely a year's time, my opinion will have completely shifted and I'll be annoyed at the opinions that I express. And also, I've just not had enough time to get to know the lyrics, get to know the context, all that kind of thing. So that is a kind of pre-warning and a pre-apology for the rest of my contribution to this podcast. Yeah, well, with Songs of Innocence, it's it's continued to grow within me and, and songs of different songs have started to uh, just have different meanings to me. This is where you can reach me now was one of the last songs to really take hold of me. Yeah. Uh, but I absolutely love that song and it's a go-to track for me to play to people hmm. these days just to give them a sample of something they might not have heard. Yeah. So yeah, I expect that to happen as well. This is a very, uh, if you will, virginal, response to the album so far because we're not fully you know we're not used to it yet yeah we're, we're not we, we can't be fully engrossed in it because we don't we, we don't get it fully yeah but i would say there is a kind of positive to that which is we've never been in this position before with a u2 album to review we've never had it being released in this raw fashion and reviewing it seven days after that so at least we're getting something that is fresh yeah. Um, let's talk about the artwork. Yeah, we don't usually do that very much, but I think it'll be interesting. We've, I've got the CD here. Um, so we've got Bono's son and Edge's daughter on the front holding hands. What do you What do you think about the album cover? Is it a hit or a miss? Um, I think it's certainly interesting. It, it links back to not only Songs of Innocence, where we had Larry hugging his, his son, Yep. Uh, but also uh, Edge's daughter, whose name I do forget. Sean. Sean. Yep. Uh, and I think that's Elijah, isn't it? Bono's son. Yes, I think so. I think it's Elijah. Elijah yeah. Bob. Elijah Bob. Great name. Um, I, uh, why don't we hear more of more Elijah Bobs running around? <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, Bono's Bo- um, not the best at naming things, as we'll find out with some of the song titles on this album. Yeah. Oh, God, that's a separate podcast on its own. Mm. But uh, So it links, uh, links up with Songs of Innocence and, of course, War and those early images of Peter Rowan in, in Boy. Yeah, definitely harkens back to that. And you can tell why they've picked these two, because they look... You can tell whose uh, son and daughter this is right away. Well, yeah, well, but- Elijah is actually um, the person who played Bono on the Innocence and Experience tour. Yeah. Uh, in the... Is it... What song was it? A song for someone? Yeah, where he's yeah. up in his bedroom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when is Adam's family going to get a look in? Because we've had Larry and his son. We've got Bono and Edge's... Well, Bono's daughter. Well, he... Uh, their, their family. When's Adam going gonna well, to get a look in? Adam's just had his first child this year. Oh, yeah. A baby girl. Do you reckon they'll actually do that? Is that a prediction we can make if they do a, another album that will have some sort of picture of Adam and his baby at some point? Um, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it would be fitting, but it, it depends how Adam feels about that. I yeah. think the difference here is that uh, Larry's son that was on the cover of Songs of Innocence and Edgy's and Bono's children on the cover of Songs of Experience were, they're adults now. Yeah, and they can make the choice to be on the cover, I guess. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's up to them. So maybe in 18 years, we'll we'll see uh, little, little baby girl Clayton on... 
imagine, the album. Imagine if they're still making music in 18 years. Imagine. <laughs> um, so we think the cover art is good. You, do you like the colour scheme? That kind of vibrant blue? Yeah, the, is it the cyan or cyan? How do, you, how do you pronounce that? I think that's cyan. Cyan. The, so. the cyan blue is fantastic. Um, the What does the vinyl look like? The deluxe is is very good because it's uh, it is a, a cyan a cyan box um, with the white silhouette of Elijah and Sean. Yeah. Um, and so it it does look very nice and stylistic blue and the vinyl is is uh, cyan. Would have preferred black, but that's a separate issue. Um, so yeah, I really I really do like it better than Songs of Innocence in my opinion. I'd say it's I say it ties with it, and it, I also think it's nice that they have got kind of black and white again. It, it fits with um, I think it fits very well with Songs of Innocence. One thing that I've noticed though, just looking back over at U um, Two Start the other day, and they've got all the albums nicely lined up, and I realised they've really gone for this black and white colour scheme on the past few albums, and it's not that I'm sad. It's just you can tell such a big difference between that recent phase of black and white monochrome. And if you look at the '90s, there's so much color there. You know, mm. pop just popping off the page. They really do stand out. Yeah, yeah, and I, I kind of would like them to maybe get back to that a little bit. Why are they so afraid of of color? I guess it's because you look better if you're photographed in black and white. Those sort of stark Anton Corbin um, look. But I think it goes back to that Anton Corbin quote that Bono likes to recite, where Bono asked, I think when they were shooting the Joshua Tree, mm. the photography for the Joshua Tree, Bono said to Anton Corbin, why do we have to look so miserable all the time? Yeah. And um, Anton Anton Corbin says, I'm shooting the music, not you, dummy. Great impression. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bono's is worse. Yeah, So fair enough. So, yeah, that's, that's what he says. But Anton Corbin likes to shoot the music. Yeah, okay. Well, I just want a bit more colour in future. That's all. There's, there's my, my notes on the on the cover art and everything there's like that. There's a lot of colour in, inside, but I know what you mean. All that you can't leave behind has a, has a kind of very black and white, but it's actually sapier, that. Well, splitting, splitting hers here. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you can't deny it with Atomic Bomb, No Line on the Horizon. Yeah. I almost bailed out of saying all these overly long titles. Yeah, well, we'll get to that as well. Um, so, shall we talk about a little bit of context around the around the album, Tyler? Absolutely. What have you got? Well, if we time travel back to 1992 and a edition of NME, Bono actually says, I've just written a song for our new record called Songs of Innocence and Experience after reading Blake. So this has been in the works in some form or other for a very, very long time. And anyone who has followed the Review 2 podcast knows we've had a long time waiting for this. We've had assurances that the album's going to be out soon. Bono actually wrote that in the liner notes to Songs of Innocence. And we've had starts and stops. So shall we talk about how we've got to this point briefly? What, starting in 1992? No, no, that was just to say it's been around for a very long time. It has, yeah. That uh, I think that uh, that quote from Bono talks about how he'd been reading Blake and uh, he'd written a song called Songs of Innocence and Experience. And even going back further than that, we know that there was something, there was a song recorded for those Joshua Tree sessions called the introduction to the Songs of Experience as well, which is yeah. a whole other different thing. So so this Blake connection is really long-standing in the, in the history of U2. Yeah. But we'll just go from the release of Songs of Innocence. Yeah, um, makes sense. And if you want, to, want a more in-depth look at the history of the band, feel free to go back and look at our previous podcasts. Yeah. Where we've covered things quite extensively. Or even better than that, 
I would go to U2 Start because they have an article called The Origins of Songs of Experience, which is far more detailed. So go to that. Presumably, you want to hear our opinions on this if you're listening to this. So here we go. <laughs> um, so we'll go back to September. I believe it was the 7th or the 8th, something like that. Let's not worry about that. <laughs> no, it, but uh, first week in September, Songs of Innocence is announced free by iTunes. Uh, we won't get back into that. Um, but pretty much right from the off, uh, two, the interview I saw was with Larry, where Larry said they had a lot of songs finished, about 60 songs written for Songs of Innocence, mm. and that they were considering doing a double album and bringing it out next year. So that would have that would have been 2015 when we could have expected that. That was the first date given. Yeah. And I believe the first ideas for the Innocence and Experience tour, which actually did come around in 2015, was to do half an album well do one album for the first part of the tour and the second album for the second part of the tour so we were we were still expecting that second album to come out before yeah we we saw them live which was a very daring and interesting idea and part of me does wish that had happened but it didn't no no it didn't happen uh we can't cry over spilt milk um but it didn't come out in 2015 they did go on tour with innocence and experience and because they called it they called it that we still expected it pretty soon yeah uh in 2016 they do go into the studio and try and finish songs of experience and i think they got pretty far along the track because by december 2015 there were reports that the album was finished and was ready for release uh but recently we've had uh there's been some mention in interviews of bono having a brush with mortality i think that's the quote i was going to bring this up um so yeah, he, he talks about this in the notes and he's, he's mentioned it and he's not being any more explicit than this. So um, the Irish Times reported that sometime in late 2016, between Christmas and New Year's Day, Bono had a near-death experience. Um, but he's not really talked in any more detail about what that actually is. And I think he's keeping that pretty close to himself. So I don't think there's any point in us speculating about that. That's his business. Yeah, but yeah. needless to say, that brought him very, very close to death. And one of the things that influenced the writing of this album was he took the advice that you should write as if you are dead or already basically well he wrote letters to people um to his family to his friends even to places uh that he that he'd been to and places that he loves and places that have been important in his life and those letters were were basically letters of what do i want these people these places to know yeah if I'm not here anymore, if I'm not here to say it, yeah. how can these people know this? And a lot of the lyrics, I think most of the songs actually came from those letters. I, I'm not going to say that Bono wrote every single lyric on this album, but I think it's 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 fair to say mm. he wrote most of them. And it's very personal, and you can tell by the extensive liner notes. He doesn't usually write that much around the album. Usually the album is sort of given over, maybe a couple of notes. Um, but there's a lot of extra text around that. Um, if which... you haven't bought the physical version of this this album, I I would really recommend going just to yeah. just to read those notes. It is it is a little bit of something extra, and it's not really a thing that other people do. Normally, you just get the lyrics in in the little booklet. But yeah. there's, there is a lot of extra content here, and a lot of insight into into Bono's mindset. And I think that definitely shows and reflects the fact that he wanted this album to leave everyone with everything that he wanted to say essentially so there was nothing left unsaid 
And maybe that's why there's such a focus on these big ideas like love and death and innocence and experience here. Um, in terms of starts and stops, the other thing that really is important for this album is the fact that world events changed so quickly around the album being released. So Bono said the, the new songs were about ready to go and then the world changed. We had just had one of those moments where you go, let's step back from this for a second. It's a very personal album and it's not going to become a political album overnight. But it has to now go through the filter of what's happening in the rest of the world. Okay, so the album is changed by world events moving on. We've got huge pivotal events occurring, like the election of Trump, like Brexit, like the Syrian refugee crisis. So that all feeds back into the album and changes it. Because I didn't think they I don't think they wanted to release something that was impotent in a way that on these issues because they've always had that connection with world events and politics and I also think if they hadn't actually got involved in these issues I'm not sure what this album would actually have to say about anything in a lot of ways I, I think despite me getting annoyed at the album being put off particularly for the Joshua Tree tour okay which I did enjoy um jumping ahead here but go on I am yeah yeah I, I'm glad that they actually have something to say on this album because without those events, I'm not sure this album would be as substantial. And some of those uh, events that you just mentioned, thankfully not the Donald Trump president presidency, do lead to some of the more beautiful songs on this album. Yeah. Um, but now I'm getting ahead of myself. So we're in December 2016. Um, first of all, we hear that the album is nearly ready for release. Yeah. And 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 I believe uh, Chris Evans said it was it was coming, and he talked to a member of the band. Yeah, uh, that turned out to be Bilge. Um, so 2017, we find out we're going to have the Joshua Tree 30th anniversary tour, which neither myself or Johnny were particularly bowled over with in terms of the idea. But going to that in July was just absolutely ph- phenomenal, and I'm yeah. so glad that they did that now. I'm so happy that I actually got to to witness that. Yeah, I'm fine with it overall. You enjoyed it. I, I really did enjoy it. I just mean overall, I, I didn't want that tour. I wanted, let's get on with experience. Come on, lads. Yeah. Um. And then once the tour was coming to an end, they'd already started releasing the singles like uh, Little Things That Give You Away, You're the Best Thing uh, best thing About Me, to finally arrived, uh, The Blackout. That's when I kind of... Gave myself a U2 ban. Yeah. And then... U2 blackout. Up until last Friday when the album came out, that's that's how we got here. And I think we're almost ready to go track by track. Yeah, just a couple a couple more things that I wanted to say. Um, things in typical U2 fashion were still being messed around with at the final hurdle, even, even that late on. So in September t- 2017, Edge said that the band had agreed on the track listing, the running order, the mixes and indicated they was absolutely ready to go beside the last polish, such as small mixing tweets or lyrical changes. Barlow, one of the producers, who is a new producer as far as I can tell for this I album. Think so, yeah. Yeah, although there's so many producers, it's ridiculous. Um, he said that Bono was making lyric changes up until the last second before mastering. So it's kind of a, uh, a classic thing there from you two, always changing things right up until the last moment. I still think it would be a fantastic experiment to say, you have six months as a hard deadline, write some stuff. Now, that would probably be unfair, but I just, I don't... Understand. No, six months, that's fair. 
just give yourself a hard deadline and, and work to it because they can produce such good stuff in that in that time uh but yeah i think we're, we're all up to date now aren't we we yeah we're, we're finally here um so before we get into the track by track i'd just like to say thank you to everybody that's been with us for this entire journey from innocence to experience yeah and it's let's been fantastic. hope this journey's been worth it for a few people. So we're about to go into the track-by-track track review like we do normally. And after that, we are going to revisit our predictions, our explicit predictions that we made on the Songs of Expectations podcast, see whether we were right or wrong. Um, I think we were mainly wrong. And then we're going to talk about some of your comments that you've made on Twitter. So we'll be talking through some of your thoughts about the album. But apart from that, I think we're ready. So, from innocence to experience, get out of your own way and follow the lights of home as we review two songs of experience. Love is all we have left. The first song, the opening track, and when I first listened to this, as I mentioned before, I was getting the train home from work, and this was an odd start in many ways. So, I'm on the train... The doors close, beep, 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 that kind of thing. I've got my headphones in and I start to hear the swell of this song and instantly I'm taken away to another planet, basically. It's a very, very different opening than the other albums we've had recently. So if we go back, Joey Ramone, that starts off with that huge chant and then a big guitar riff. Before that, No Line on the Horizon kicks the doors down pretty pretty efficiently with that big guitar riff vertigo this is very different and we're taken back to something that feels a bit more like zeropa really we've got vocoders we've got something quite quiet um understated when it comes in so already i'm on board with this album as i'm on board the train what do you think Tyler? it's interesting that you said zeropa because my mind went there as well but not in the same way uh i was i was trying to compare this this track because there's no bombast with this track and i think that's what you were getting at it's not a it's not a miracle of joey ramon yeah it's um what's the first what's the first one on atomic bomb vertigo yeah well there you go you know it, it's not it's not vertigo no it it's it's not the way you two like to start an album these days well i say these days for the last 20 years maybe longer they like a, they like to have a big thumping crowd pleaser yeah. right at the start of the album. Normally a single as well. And that I, was my annoyance actually with um with with Atomic Bomb because I think it should start with City of Blinding Lights. I think that's a better way to to lead in. Yeah. Uh, but sorry, yeah. I, I mean, I'd be very surprised if this ended up being a single. <laughs> yeah, of course it, it's it, not going to be. Yeah, it's it's it, but it really it does transport you into the album and I, I was very pleased that they'd changed up a bit they hadn't they weren't sticking to the same U2 formula yes um so I yeah I really like it it did connect for me with uh the little things that give you away which up until this point was one of two songs the three songs I knew from the album in what way do you think it, it connected it just seems tonally uh, very the same yeah. You know, love it. Love is all all we have left. The little things that give you away, people. Uh, well, the little things that give you away. This is going into my review of that now. But it's like a, you know, seeing things for how they actually are. Mm-hmm. And if you if love is all you have left, then everything else has been stripped bare. So it has a, a, a almost a naked quality, you know, yeah. a naked emotion and na- naked 
thoughts, feelings, landscapes, whatever, whatever you want to, yeah. you know, to attribute to that. But it did link, just linked up with that. With that, I loved the robotic voices in the. Yeah, the vocoder really works very well, I think. Um, and it just made me really want a Daft Punk and U2 collaboration. <laughs> uh, that's the kind of thing they would try and do to stay relevant. And I think there might be some people who think they are stretching here to incorporate stuff. I've seen things on on Twitter about you know how how they they don't like certain collaborations which will come in to this review yeah um i i like the way this sounds i think the texture is really great um i i can see why people might think that and i've tried to stay away from as many reviews as possible because i find it really difficult to have my own opinion after the review it, it will change things um I'll, I'll be honest yeah. the first time i listened to it uh this this track did leave me feeling a little bit unfulfilled because I just I wasn't I didn't know what to, I didn't really had no idea what to expect. Were you expecting this to be a build up to something big? I, I was in? expecting a miracle of Joy Ramone or a Vertigo or a Beautiful Day. I was expecting one of those big yeah. opening numbers. Um, so you have to kind of take a step back and go, okay, they're not doing that. Uh, and and I think what a lot of people would do that. Oh no, they're not doing what you two do. I don't like this. Mm. But I didn't obviously didn't want to take that opinion. So I, then I, I'm in. I'm placing that. Okay, they're not doing what you two do normally do. So how do I feel about this? How do I feel about you two doing this? It does. I never wanted to feel like it was bad or anything. Mm. Um, I, I mean, it took me a long time to admit that I didn't like No Line on the Horizon, for example. Yeah. So so yeah, it just it's just different, and I and I think a lot of people can get stuck in the in the vein of what you two do all the time expecting and, something yeah but... and i didn't want that to, to be the case with me yeah i think there's a very different poise and stance here right from the start i think it's good that they've sent that message that this is about experience we've had the joyful chanting of innocence and now they are able to do something that is a bit more man uh, measured rather so bono talked about this song being like a frank sinatra song as if Frank Sinatra was on the moon or something like that. So I think that's where I got that planetary, you know, kind of connection. It sounds so jarring on, on first listen, but I think that... Kind of Frank Sinatra cross with uh, Ziggy Stardust. Yeah, kind of, yeah, and yeah. I, I think it's useful that those kind of influences are, are bleeding into the album here because that does reflect the innocence and, well, the, the experience theme. And I think it is a very Blakeian opener to have the line... Love and love is all we have left. A baby cries on a doorstep. I think those two ideas of innocence, of love and you know childlike imagery, being put next to this idea of something being abandoned and just left there, and that hardness of the world. I think that does come through all the way through the album. So I'm already, I'm already happy that they're being, they're taking on board this idea of innocence and experience and not just doing it in a kind of flippant way yeah but they're also not doing it um i mean a lot of the, the thing like the baby cries on a doorstep there's a lot of imagery in this that could be you know quite quite downbeat but i think it's actually quite an uplifting song uh it starts out with nothing to stop this being the de- best day ever yeah which which is a great it's op- opening, opener yeah. for yeah. for a track um nothing to stop this being the best day ever apart from if you ordered the album from the official website, <laughs> um, was was my review uh, when I actually 
decided to listen to this on on Spotify. So I wasn't in the best place to listen to this album anyway. <laughs> but I'd li- I do like the the general feeling in the song that even if love is all we have left, at least we've still got something to live for. Yeah. And and that's really what I took away from this track. What I don't like about this track is is that the, it fades out. I really wanted it to go to lead straight into track two. I think it more more or less does, doesn't it? Not really. No, it it does fade out, and I found it I found it quite obvious. Um, but but there you go. I, overall, now I like it. At first, I, I I wasn't completely sure what I was listening to, but now I do like it. Yeah, um, I think another thing that would be a bit a bit jarring and. On first listen, I was like, "Oh, that's that's interesting." I'm not sure how that sits with me. Was the use of that vocoder, and luckily, you two have actually included the line um, that is being said in that in that robotic voice, which is "Don't close your eyes." So we're not going to have another um, mofo debacle where we're arguing about what's actually being being said in in the kind of inaudible bit of of the album. There's no argument. It's a little one bam, little baby, um, on a doorstep. Um, so. <laughs> This is an interesting open to the album. And I think a lot of people have criticised, from what I have seen, from the, the small bits that I have seen, they've criticised that use of vocoder for trying to be trendy, you know, on trend, trying to emulate maybe Kanye West or something like that. But I think what saves this is that or you... Or Bon Jovi. <laughs> um, no yeah. one's making that comparison. No, for good reason. Um, what I think saves this from being just you know studio trickery and messing around for 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 no good reason is the fact you have the human voice and the machine voice sitting side by side and again that's linking into that wider idea of innocence and experience i I like that it's almost like bono is talking to himself and you've got those two voices existing at the same time particularly when he's talking um well rather when he's singing the now you're at the other end of the telescope idea i think this has been thought through and if this is what made the album take so long then that's fine on this with me on this particular song because they've worked something out properly mm. good opener yeah yeah very happy <laughs> yeah okay so let's uh, let's bound on to the lights of home track 2 the lights of home so many people on the credits for this um you two and then a, a bevy of Himes. Himes? Yeah. Uh, so so this is co-written and co-sung with Heim, uh, the band Heim. I, I don't know very much about them at all. I, I recognise the logo and I know they're around, but I've, uh, maybe I'll have to investigate them from now on. Yeah. Um, and also to say, there are so many producers on this album. Once again, I'm kind of baffled at how cohesive the album sounds, considering it has this many producers. Yeah, I mean, you can go on Wikipedia and just look at all the different producers that were involved. I mean, I guess this is just what happens. Hang if on, you have we, have we, is Lily White on this? Uh, Lily White is involved at different points. He was yeah. brought in especially to capture part of the the live sound, and I think we'll get to that probably on one of the songs later on. Okay, Eno. No, Eno's not around here. I don't think at all. So that takes out Danny Lamoir as well. Uh, let's let's have a. A quick check, so we're getting our facts right. Looking at the producers, we've got Barlow, we've got Tedder, we've got Thomas, we've got Lily White, we've got Gaffney, we've got Jack Lee, Knife Lee, yeah, and we've got Epworth. 
Eno and Lanois are not to be seen, which is which is disappointing for me because the albums that I like most are probably closest to to Eno, really. But there is a lot of uh, soundscapeism on on here. <laughs> yeah. That's a word. Soundscapeism is soundscapeism is a word. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um, look look it up in the, the dictionary. The sonic landscape ism, ism. Yeah. Okay. Go on. Yeah. So it's, yeah. So so you kind of don't need them because that's what they bring to the table. You're still angry about Fourth of July. I, <laughs> I, I really am. Elvis like, Presley. Do you know what? A friend of mine messaged me the other day and said, "What's your favorite U two album?" Mm. Listen to the podcast. You yeah. know. Um, but he didn't, and he just said, "What's your favorite U two album?" I'm listening to a lot more of them these days, and I said, "Pop," but it's not a popular decision. Uh, you might be better off with Actung Baby. And he went, "Oh right, I've got fo- I've got um, Unforgettable Fire on now." Mm. I went, "It's half a good album, yeah, and the good bits are effing brilliant." So, but I dread I dread to think anyone listening to the album, what do they think when they get to Fourth of July and Elvis Presley in America? Fourth of July, they're thinking this is interesting. Which is which is what they should be thinking. Um, okay, so let's no, no defense of Elvis Presley in America there. Nope, that's a noticeable. Absence. One point me. So uh, the lights of home. Bono is questioning his mortality, um, playing on the definition of of light. You know, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, the light yeah. of of a god and in a heaven, um, and also harkening back to the songs. Well, to songs of innocence. Um, what was the light reference in Songs of Innocence? Well, there were there were lots of them, and we'll yeah. see them again. Um, but mainly, you know, there is a light. Don't let it go out. Yes, and uh, the big light bulb, the cool light bulb hanging over the stage on the Innocence and Experience tour. Yes, a lot of a lot of those ideas are repeated throughout the album. We'll see, I guess, whether we think that is successful or not later on. Um, what do you think of the sound? I think it's really new and original. I think the the sound is fantastic. I I mean, I think this is. In terms of production, really, really strong. Everyone is on point, and I think you two can sometimes be accused of getting a little bit muddy in the sound, sometimes purposefully on on Zeropa, for example. But everyone is very, very clearly defined here. You can you can tell it's almost like you're sitting in the room with the band, essentially. So when Adam comes in, you can hear his bass thudding through the mix, and and Larry sounds really, really sharp. I, I know and I say this every single album but adam legitimately is the mvp of this album hmm we'll see i i i mean i think we'll see about that point um we'll we'll come to that later on um it's a a very laid back start to a u2 album this yeah yeah, which which um i'm 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 quite happy with Uh, and it did make me think on the first few listens like i think that there must have been a conscious thought within the band okay what is u2 Let's not be that. Let's do things we've never done before. And and I th- I mm. think this is the most original. We're probably at this point ever going to hear them. Be they don't sound like you two on a lot of this album. Mm, I think in some points they do, but I think that just reflects the fact that this is a long album that is it's sort of stuck together a little bit over a few years, rather than being that outpouring in one kind of go. That is, say, Zeropa. That's very, very tight in in terms of its sound. Um, I think this is a. This would actually make quite a good metal song. It, it's it's a song that obviously, as we can tell from the remix, works 
being recorded in different ways you know the string version that's at, that's at the end um but i think this would make a fantastic I, I think this would be a great song to do a kind of a metal cover of because of the the way the riff sounds the bass riff and on the guitar but it does it sound like anything you two have done before i i really don't think so up to now track one and track two no this is very this is very very original new ground yeah uh what do you think of the borrowed lyrics from iris and yes this will be a recurring theme throughout this album I've got thumbs up to this callback to Innocent. One of the things that I was most concerned about is that this wouldn't be an an album that works as a double album. I was concerned that they wouldn't be repeating ideas or calling back. Now, some people see that as boring repetition, laziness even, and some people would see it as, you know, a developing and a deepening. And I think at different points on the album they can be accused of both of those. But I really, really enjoyed the fact that when I first listened to this, th- I heard this chanting, and it seemed like a really joyful way to to bring back in innocence. Yeah, what do you think? I mean, well, you know, he's talking about the lights of home, and that obviously links back to Iris. If if Bono is going, you know, in inverted commas, home, uh, then he would get to see Iris. Yeah, which I like. I don't know if I think it's a little bit too on the nose to have the same exact lyrics sang in pretty much the same way uh, with the free yourself to be yourself kind of thing. Well, it, it, it's it's changed though because I think the original way of them being sung had a lot of sorrow in them and here it's been flipped on its head. It's a big chant with, I think, Heim contributing as well. I might be saying that wrong as well but that's the way I'm saying it. I think it's the right, yeah. Okay. Um, I think that's good because it's been changed from something sorrowful and melancholy into something really, really joyful here. So I think that's an occasion where it is, it's worthwhile because the melody is shifted a bit and the arrangement's definitely shifted. So I think it works. And that that to me is not repetition or, or, or cheapness, to be honest. But I like the idea that we do go back to Irish because, as you said, this is probably the song that explores Bono's brush with mortality most clearly the very first line is i shouldn't be here because i should be dead and we're in very like nude bono ter- territory here i don't like that as a way to label this well let's say let's say very paul houston territory here okay very po- nude paul houston territory Not nude here. paul houston just paul houston i don't like the idea of naked bono in in this <laughs> Um, but that 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 is a really good point to bring up because if, if bono was part of the fappening would you uh I'm not discussing this. Would you look at the pictures? No, of course not. What the hell? No. I think you would. No. We're not just, dis- just to check what's going on down there. Not interested. Not interested. Apparently it's very sizable. I'll refer to my previous comments. Not interested. I'm just saying some of our listeners might give it a look. Well, might be interested. They're welcome to. That's the that is the that is the right and um, yeah, anyway. But yeah, back to uh, back back to very Paul Hewson style, uh, Bono. Very, you know, open and honest. We said in the in the in the review of Iris on on the Songs of Innocence review and the Innocence and Experience tour that in those songs when he's looking up at, at Iris on the screen, it, it, there's not much of an act going on there. It's mm. it's Bono looking at a video of his mother and singing a song to his mother, and there's not. There's not really another level to that. Yes, he's doing yeah. it in front of thousands of people, but 
I think it's very he's laid burther. It's yeah. the emotion is is evident, and I think that is why we have that first line of the chorus. Hey, do you know my name? I think that is a genuine call to people. I am Bono, and I am this person. I'm Paul also Hewson. I'm also Paul Hughes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think it's so well arranged with with the that that line comes in on the chorus because the song really opens out there in such a beautiful way. It reminded me of the way that I felt when I first listened to Breathe, because I I really really like Breathe. Don't make that face because we're we're doing No Line on the Horizon. Breathe is a great song and it has such a joyful expansiveness and openness to it. So when in this song they say, "Hey now, do you know my name?" The way the music changes, there I I was completely on board and everyone is on point in the band. So up to now, this is a fantastic album. Why why, why are you still making that face? I just. I, I don't don't try and liken this to No Line on the Horizon. It's much better than No Line on the Horizon. Breathe is a good song. Coming from a long line of travelling sales people on one side, I wasn't just gonna buy anyone's cocker too. Terrible, terrible. Get out of town. But when but when um when the actual chorus starts and he's saying walk out into a sunburst street, that's great. And this is this look, this is better in, in terms of that openness, but it's the same feeling. Okay? Worlds apart. Well, it's look, it's good, okay, and this is a very, very high standard, I think. Production, good. Themes, good. Lyrics, fantastic. Harkening back to Iris, well done. Ten out of ten, lads, so far, I would say. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fully on board at this point. Fully on board. You're the best thing about me. Thanks. You're welcome. So the first single from this album, I'm I'm right about that, aren't I? Is it, it was the first single. Do you know what? I'm so confused with what is actually a single and what isn't. That well, I'm these, not. I can't yeah. even bother getting into it. Maybe these days the distinction doesn't matter, but certainly we can say that this is the song that has been hanging around for a very long time, and we've talked about it in some way or another. You brought it up on the podcast when the Kygo remix um, was sort of leaked. I guess might be the word. Yeah, so, yeah. so it's been hanging around for a long time and different versions of this title have existed for a very long time as well and on that note our old friend Eamon Dunphy comes back into focus so he as you might remember was the writer of Unforgettable Fire a really good oh I remember if quite long um, biography of the band so Eamon had said this beautiful thing, this is uh, this is Bono, Eamon had said this beautiful thing about me once in a bar in Dublin. He said, Bono, Ali is the best thing about you. Obviously referring to his wife there. So, that idea that someone's partner can be the best thing about them. What do we what do we think about that idea? Do you, do you like the idea as, a, as, a, as an idea for a song, Tyler? I, I, I think that's great. I mean, other than um, other than the song references of, you know, of Ali... I don't really know much about um, Ali Hewson or Alison Stewart. I, I don't. I don't know much about her, and I don't know much about the the relationship that she has with Bono. Mm. Um, one of the things I did want in the the film Killing Bono was just that I wanted to see Ali and and Paul at that time. As I didn't. I didn't want. It was. It was. It wasn't. It tried not to be as focused on you two. As it, as it could because it wasn't a story about you two it was about, yeah. about something else maybe we'll review that one one day it's been a request uh, maybe we will but I, I did I don't know much about the relationship between Ali and Bono 
um, or Ali and Paul, however you want to you want want to say that. Mm. But I do get that there is a deep, deep love from Bono, and there is a a, a relationship that they've worked at and yeah. tried to get right, and and it, and, and they could have. They could have gone the classic rock way of, you know, multiple wives and, you know, erratic family lives. But I don't think, in the most part, that they've done that. I think they have tried to maintain a, a family sensibility about about the band. And that's something that is quite remarkable, really, the, the length of that relationship. And I'm sure it's not always been completely peachy, but that relationship has endured for some reason over that amount of time. And I think what is reflected on this song is that someone can become a very, very good aspect of of you. It can be something that you really draw a huge amount of strength from. And it's something that I think you could accuse Bono of maybe putting Ali on a pedestal, as he has done in the past. I think he has written some lyrics before that have made a kind of maybe focus too much attention on this whole you know i'm a loser and you're the best thing that can become a little bit cloying to be honest you know binary code a one and a zero because obviously ali must be getting something out of this relationship you know if 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 it was that bad then yeah i, don't think, I, they would I hang think around i think what she offers from you know my uneducated viewpoint is she although she's been around you two for its entirety She's not in you too, and I think it must be important for Bono. You know, she's almost like an anchor for Bono. Yeah, like you, you know, you have something solid here, so you can go off and you can fly around the world and you can be the rock star. But you also have something here—a reason you're you're doing all this, a reason you're leaving. You know, you're and, and going on tour for months on end. The reason is to provide for the family, and you know. So I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, that is all pure speculation, but. The, I, I think this is a nice, fitting tribute to the song. And, and there have been many tributes to Ali over the years. Yeah, let, um, let's not forget the sweetest thing. And on that note, I was going to say, do you think this song would be better titled The Best Thing? Just shorten it down a bit. Because they've got this problem of always having these really long titles. Um, I mean, Love Is All We Have Left is not particularly short. I think it would be a nice thing to call it The Best Thing because then that would harken back even more to The Sweetest Thing you'd get more of that innocence and experience um, feeling. And it would it is another song about or directly to Ali, you know, and it's it seems that this is definitely a song that was based on those those letters. Where he wants to actually say something in case he that brush with mortality had become, well, less of a brush and more of a actual mortality. Well I I, I um, wanted this to be called the real thing. Okay. Because there is actually, I talked about this on the podcast before, there is a link between these two songs. The structure of the songs are very, very similar, of of even better than the real thing and the best the best thing. If you just purely look at the core, uh, the, uh, the the structure of the lyrics in, in the verse in particular... Mm-hmm. I'm looking at them now. You can interchange them. If you swap them over, he's hurting my head trying to do this. <laughs> but I, I, I've done it, and I've done it in the past, and you, they, they are very interchangeable. It is like a modern day version of even better than the real thing. It's really hurting my head trying to do that. If someone could do a mashup of that, that would be very, very interesting. Or someone get George McCauley. George McCauley, he, he does the the remixes and the DJ and all that 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 cool stuff that uh, that I can't do. So, George, that's a little challenge from review two. 
I, I think it's an impossible challenge, to be honest, but but there we go. If, if you have a go at it, or if anyone wants to... Pause this. Pause this. Let's prove it. Okay, listen, so we're going to briefly see if Tyler's theory syncs up by the medium of guitar um, and vocals. When you look so good, the pain in your face doesn't show. When you look so good, baby, you don't even know. What, what do you think, guys? Yay or nay? I'm, I'm still not quite convinced, although I, I get Tyler's point, sort of. Vote Tyler or vote Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> so back to the best thing. I think this is one of the catchiest songs U2 has released in recent years. But there has been complaints, and I'm not the only one who thinks this. Do you think that the chorus and the verse are not particularly well matched? Like They seem like they've been grafted on from different songs. Um... That's, that's tough to say, um, be- because the, the, this standard album version has always felt flat to me. All right. Okay. Because I heard the Kygo version yep. first, it's kind of um, an electrical storm kind of conundrum, because mm. there is the standard acoustic electrical storm, and then there is the much more widely accepted William Orbit version. Yeah. Uh, now... For me, it, the, the the song you hear first is... You know where uh, people have a problem with covers and how it'll never be as good as the original? Yeah. Well, the original, in most cases, is the is the song you heard first. So I heard the Kygo version first uh, from the, 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 the mobile phone, cell phone video. Yeah, and I purposely stayed away from that as a contrast. So which do you prefer? I prefer this version. See, I prefer the Kygo version. Yeah. So the this version does fall a little bit flat for me. And and I think with the kind of song it is, you know, the modern day reinvention of even better than the real thing, it should... As proved. As proved by us a few minutes ago. Uh, it should have that big, bombastic, Kygo-influenced, dancey song. It, that, that that version is, for mm. me, the, the definitive version. If- if it was about the kind of thing that Even Better Than The Real Thing is about, I would agree. But I think because this is a song that is relatively intimate, it fits being a, a low-key pop song. Hence why it should be called The Real Thing, because it's about the real thing. It's not about all the, the fake stuff and all you know all the, the stuff that you can clog your life up with. It's about the, the real, true substance of the issue. Mm, yeah, maybe so. Yeah, no, I think that, that, that does make sense. Um, but this does fall flat lyrically... I like it. My favourite bit is the um, Edge's little yep. little verse. Um, Absolutely standout performance from the Edge. Yeah, though. I can see it also clearly. I can see what you can't see. I can see you love her loudly when she needs you quietly. I think that I just I think that's so beautiful. Um, mm. And in a song like that, you you maybe wouldn't expect such you know such real hard hitting you know and lovely lyrics, but it it really does stand out, and it's just a great part of the song mm. i think there are some good lyrics in general on this on this song um and even though you two are still working with sort of primary pop colors you might say i think this is done really really well yeah um so it, it is a little bit light but that's completely fine um do you think it's in the right place do you think track listing wise this is where it should be well this is this is the thing i was looking forward to this song for so long mm. 
and now it's possibly my one of my least favorite songs on the album not because I don't like it but because it just for me it sticks out like a sore thumb mm. and part of the reason I was so excited to hear this song was because I thought they were going to do an album of this kind of more dancey remixable stuff yeah uh but that isn't the album we got so this this song it kind of feels like feels like it belongs on a different album yeah I can I can see that the production's still very high, though. I mean, oh, yeah, it's ama- it, it is amazing. I think just to talk about the production for a sec, the first thing that I noticed about it when I listened to it is everything is really, really clear. When when Adam comes in, his bass is really thick, and every band member is in their own... They're working together, obviously, but you can hear them really, really well. It's all clearly defined. There's a lot of space in the chorus... Uh, sorry, in the verses, for those synthesizer and the kind of, you know, do-do-do-do bits to come in. It's really, really well done. Even just noticing when Larry brings in that tambourine during the verse is is a is a really good decision. So again, I'm amazed. All these produ- producers, and it hasn't been a case of cooks and broth. It actually does sound pretty good. But I agree that it swerves away from the kind of direction that was being established with track one and track two. So... And plus, mm. we, we you know the narrative that we've been buying into is that uh, these the, these songs are based on letters that Bono wrote after you know the the brush with mortality, which yeah. I'm sure we will get sick of saying. But we know this song was around b- long before that, and in yeah. pretty complete form. So well, it doesn't it doesn't deva- it still feels like one of those letters. Yeah, it doesn't devalue it, but it 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 does stand out a little bit too much for me. Yeah. And and it's not as good as the Kygo version. I don't want to listen to this version. I want to listen to the Kygo version. I think it would be more weird to have the Kygo version as track three after Lights of Home, which is quite a rocky, gospel-y type song, to then have, you know, the, the very, you know, the kind of vocodery, snippety bits that I really like in the Kygo version, but I think that would stick out even more here. And what, what I think is that, that, you know, three songs... I don't think Lights of Home is going to be released... I think they were thinking, okay, three songs into the album, we need to be having, we need to be putting a yeah, single there. Yeah. So I think that is probably the logic behind it. Yeah. Well, fair enough. Track four, then get out of your own way. Uh, for me, the first time I was listening to, listening to this, I thought, okay, so here we've got the beautiful day, all the vertigo, that 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 that. That song that is the hook for the album, you know, the main selling point for the album, uh, the most U two e song so far. Yep. Um, but hey, I, I'm a fan of U two, so that's not a bad thing. Yeah. Um, I, I, I do like it when they experiment, but sometimes it isn't nice to hear them do what they are known for. Uh, this is the most obvious single, I would say. Of the track, at least of the tracks we've heard so far. I'd say it ties with the best thing for that, but I'm not splitting hers over that. It's, it is, it could, either could be the lead single. I would say uh, the chorus is great, but the verse seems a little underwhelming and a, a bit by the numbers for for you two. Um, and despite all this, it still sticks in my head. It, it's a catchy song, but there are things I don't like about it. So I don't, I don't know where I stand with that now. <laughs> I think this is what we said at the start. These songs are still settling. They're very, very fresh in our heads. It's very difficult to place them. I initially did not like this song very much at all. Um, and my heart kind of sunk a little bit with it because I instantly thought this is 
a kind of diet beautiful day mixed with it really does sound like a beautiful day yeah mixed with city of blinding light light you know it's that kind of a bit of both but not really either i mean the the chorus definitely has the same type of drum pattern the verse has the same kind of rhythm pattern mm. and that did make me a little bit sad because i don't mind you two being you two that's completely fine so for example iris i would say is a very u 2 song it's not it's edge you know with his delayed guitar fine with me same with city of blinding lights a lot of people think that's just a retread of the same territory or the same sounds that he's used before not a problem but when it's these two songs sort of smushed together i don't know i i i can't say that i enjoy this song wholeheartedly like i do those other two songs i'll be honest i don't know how this made the cut we're knowing how much edge is you know listens to the album and really tries to perfect the album how he didn't think no this sounds too much like beautiful day I think, they... and for me, Vertigo in 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 places. Hmm, I didn't get Vertigo, but but I think it made the cut because they wanted songs that they could come out and play live, essentially. Yeah. And this has been played live quite a few times um, to big crowds, and it has that catchy message, you know, get out of your own way. It's it's very very catchy, and it's certainly one of the songs that relates to the the times that we're living in most so mm. so maybe that's a good thing to talk about in terms of the lyrics i think i think the um well i was going to ask you what do you think this song is about i think it's in in very wide terms it's about it's about resisting hatred the kind of hatred that is most clearly demonstrated in the racism of our times and the kind of xenophobia of our times and also as it's distilled in that horrible orange man in the white house um which is kind of a mean way to for me to... I'm kind of being hateful there as well. So apologies, but he's an idiot. Um, Orange people are people too, Johnny. <laughs> well, all right. Donald Trump. Donald J. Idiot Trump. Um, so... Yeah. Sorry, are you a fan of Donald Trump? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not quite. I'm not quite sure. I'm keeping my cards close. No, right, one, can, okay. no one can find out. Um, yeah. So I'm just looking through the lyrics now. So in resistance, love has got to fight for its existence. The enemy has armies of assistance. Oh, dear. Well, no. The amorous, the glamorous, a kiss, a fist, listen to this. Oh, I mean, it's a lot better when he does it. Uh, armies of assistance. I've just... I, I felt that's like... That's awful. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. I felt like, in a way, this was uh, this was self-referential, get out of your own way. Yeah. Due to shredding uh, layers of criticism and, uh, you know, things that they hide behind. Like uh, So the... the, the the obvious criticism criticism of you two is that oh they all the songs sound the same, which well they're not really disproving that with this one are they? N- no, they're, they're not. But maybe this is an exercise in them going. Do you know what? Yeah, if we sit down and write a song, this is how it sounds because this is who we are. Mm. So just stripping away that 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 um, self consciousness, yeah, and letting them be who they are, letting them sound like you two, uh, at least you know for this song. Uh, don't be afraid of who you are. I, th- I got that message as well. The song's annoyingly positive. I, I think there's there's room for that on this on this album. The, um, there's political, you know, avenues that you can see in this song, but there, you can see this many many ways. Yeah, and it's I, not I, like they're talking. I think they've done well in avoiding explicitly tying the album too close to. They're able to comment on things like. Syria, like Trump, that kind of thing, but without making it 
really, really tied to this particular year and, and time frame. Because this will pass. No, and the saying, you know, like, you know, how this relates to us, it's not a preachy thing. I don't think it's... I, I, I think it is all about how it's personally mm. affecting them. There's a lot of conscience. That's the, well, one thing that... One theme that kept going through my head is, like, it's Bono's conscience. This is... This is things that are going on in Bono's head. Mm. Not necessarily... You know, he's not trying to preach. I don't. I don't think there's, this is a very preachy album. Well, if we come, we'll come back to preaching because I think that'll relate to the end of the song. Right. Um, but I think what this was one of the songs that does relate to those letters, and this is Bono talking to his daughter, I think specifically, saying that this is something where they have to step back a little bit and say, you know, I can help you, but it's your fight. They are accepting that they are older that they are not going to be around for very much longer, to be honest, in the grand scheme of things. And they have to pass that torch of hope and of mm. anti-hatred onto the next generation. So that's why you have that, um, I can help you, but it's it's your fight, rather than him saying, I'm going to be this global leader who's going to single-handedly solve AIDS and the Syrian refugee crisis and you know make capitalism nice for everyone, you know, all, all that kind of thing. Um, on that note, I am not a fan of vocal drops or whatever the name is for when you know when all the band cut out and then it's just Bono saying your fight your fight as kind of a way to punctuate the line I think it's really cheesy it reminds me of those DJ skips in 90s film trailers where everything goes yeah and then there's that oh it really annoys me (laughs) so I don't know where I stand with this song now I don't know if I like it or not I don't mind it when it's on but when I think about it (laughs) it's it's not great you know it's good in the in the headphones. It's really good in the headphones, yeah. and there's a lot of subtlety that you miss if you just if it's on in the background on a small radio. That is the worst way to listen to this song because it it becomes irritating, and the things that are irritating about it, like the um, ahs bit. You know, I can't I can't do. It. Yeah, that's that one, yeah. that's the way it sounds. It sounds it sounds bad when you listen to it on a little radio, but in their cans, it sounds really good. Geek Alert reminds me of the Vela girls in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. When, well, you the know, butterflies fly out of them. when they yeah when they walk in and they go, <sighs> and all yeah. the, all the guys get erections and stuff like that. I, I don't remember that making the cut of the film, but okay. Uh, <laughs> Geek Alert definitely deserved there. Um, so we could move on to this idea of of preaching that you mentioned because I think you're right. There is a kind of reverse sermon on the mount right at the end of this. We've got all that um, all that uh, kind of reverse beatitudes that's at the end where we have this ironic, "Blessed are the arrogant, for theirs is the kingdom of their own company." Blessed are the superstars like Bono for the magnificence in their own light. Uh, I think that is a good way of them doing a bit of self criticism. Did you like Kendrick Lamar's contribution to this? Um, it 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 was it was it's always nice to add a different flavour, and then this is this is something they don't do too much. I don't think they've ever had a hippity hoppity person on before with them. Um, and he it wasn't he wasn't really interacting with the track so much as bridging two songs. Yeah. Um, I don't have a I don't have a problem uh, with it. It's fine. Kendrick Lamar isn't somebody I'm particularly interested in, even after XXX. Mm-hmm. Um, Which we'll get to for the next track. Yeah, uh, just... I'm, I'm, it's fine. It's fine. I'm sure if I was a fan of Kendrick Lamar as well... Yeah, it would add something. I would have been, I w- it would have added something, yeah, you're right. But but not being a fan... I mean, if, if going back to the first track, if it was Daft Punk and you 2 I would 
be all over that. Yeah. I it would it would be the big the best thing that could ever happen for me. I would have I would have believed it if they just put featuring Daft Punk. I would have believed that Daft Punk had done something on that particular song, yeah. you know, just added a little bit. I would have actually believed that. Um I I initially was unsure about this because it is odd to have such a different texture coming into the U2 canon. Someone like Likey Lai seems like it is very, very similar. It's the same kind of indie rock area. But I really like this now, and I think as a bridging point, it works really well. And I'm even more convinced of that after I've seen the live performance of this with Bono doing this bit and through his microphone, and I did not enjoy it as much. I think they should have just used a sample from Kendrick. It's 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 Lamar. it's quite daring actually for a rock band to do this because everybody that buys the album or listens to the album is going to be a U2 fan. So to have another artist on the, on a track with you or on the album with you, you divide the audience between the people the 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 U2 fans. Mm-hmm. You now have the U2 fans that like this guy and the U2 fans that don't like this guy. So they're deliberately dividing the audience there. And that that's a conscious choice that they must be aware of. Yeah. And that's a division that they are they are determined to to make. Yeah, and you don't notice how brave that is if you feel neutral or you like that particular person. So I feel relatively neutral about Kendrick Mar. I guess I like him on this performance. But if they had featured Ed Sheeran, for example that would be a massive problem for me because I do not like his music or his or the tone of his voice or anything like that. So, yeah, there must be some people who think, oh, I really don't like this particular contribution. So, I don't know. I guess, I guess people just need to need to chime in with, with what they think. I think I think it's... Uh, I, I, see, I don't... I, I'm, I'm kind of indifferent to it. Mm. I don't mind it, but it's there, you know. And this is, I guess where it becomes clear that this album is maybe not fulfilling all of the hopes and dreams and probably <laughs> naive expectations that Songs of Experience was going to be another Joshua Tree or Acton Baby. I think this I didn't want on... that. I just wanted pop. That's all <laughs> I wanted. Just listen to pop again then if you want pop. Oh, I might have to now. <laughs> um, so are we ready to go into American Soul? Yeah, well, let's do what U2 does and not even pause and just go right into it. Okay, right. Um, do you want to do the... You could have read out the Kendrick Lamar lines there, couldn't you? Um, I could have done, but I'm not going to. So my introduction to this song was uh, because the album leaked about a week before release and a lot of naughty, naughty people listened to it, illegally, I might add. Mm. Um, the, 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 there were opinions of this song on Twitter and and I, I got to see opinions of, of this song before I ever heard it. And I knew nothing about it, and there was a lot of hype on Twitter about how this is a really, really good song, how it's the best song on the album, uh, and just people generally talking this song up. Yeah. And then I put it on, and I heard the music, and I thought, oh, this is really, really funky, and mm. it's just experimental, completely new sound, very, very different. And then that's about as high as my opinion ever got of this song because I don't think it's particularly good. I don't think it's particularly well done. It for me it's Volcano 2.0. Mm. It's it's just it's it's a version of Volcano they've had three more years to work on. And I can't see Ooh. it than anything other than that. Not talking about, you know, the the actual content within the lyrics or what the song's about, just as it sounds. 
it's Volcano 2.0. Yeah, so let's let's focus just on how it sounds and let's let's keep on that. I had a similar reaction in terms of the start, so I thought this is great. Thank God we've actually got a a proper riff. I like the guitar that's been done so far, but I'm a fan of Edge getting a little bit more riffy to be honest, and mm. this is great. I think I think it's really well recorded. I like the the sort of fizziness of the guitar. Adam's really stomping about and I actually really, really enjoyed the chorus. I was I remember very distinctly the very first time I listened to this, because I stupidly listened ahead. Um, when I saw it on Spotify, I listened to it. And I was doing some washing up, and I remember when that chorus came in, I laughed out loud, and I was like, oh, boys, you've done it again. I, I, was, I was really excited and interested by that. I thought it was a great idea. And in hindsight, I've listened to it a few more times. I can see that it might seem a bit repetitive, but... I think the seeds are actually paying off and this works for me, that, that whole innocence and experience and developing that idea. Although it is the same exact riff and the same exact mm. thing. But, and this is where we could talk to talk about ideas, is it saved by the fact that this is now being shifted into a different context and this is being addressed specifically to America? So early on in Volcano... You are, you and I are rock and roll. That could be argued that that's Bono, Edge, the band, inhabiting the newfound identity as bona fide rock stars as they begin to make their living. You know, we are rock and roll, and this is the excitement of that. But now Bono is saying it directly to America and saying, you can be better than this. You are rock and roll. You are soul. You are power. You are love. Be those things rather than the bad things. Is this um, a Charlottesville is it a response to the Charlottesville? I think it's bound. Things? It's bound up with a lot of a lot of current events. Probably too many to name. Right. Okay. Um, I mean, let's let's have a little look. Um, I mean, these lyrics have been around for quite a while. So, um, the country is to me a sound of drum and bass. Close your eyes and look around. It's a sound. So, I think this is Bono going back to that Joshua Tree idea of America is an idea rather it's than the a place. the two Americas, you know, coming, coming yeah. back. It is linked to to Joshua Tree, yeah. Yeah, in a, in an updated way, and that they're coming to look for American American soul, which I guess would would certainly be linking to uh, the black community and a certain type of music. I think used to be a sound a, a sound of drum and bass. Close your eyes to look around. It's a sound. I think yeah, that is to do with. I mean, the, the video is all to do with marching and becoming organised. It's sort of like a, a revolution of, of love, if, if you will. So I think that is, that's part of the lyrics. You can tell we've not really fully grasped what these songs are about yet. Um, I, I, I will admit to a week in, I've been skipping this track already. That's a bad sign, isn't it, though? Yeah. Um, not from you, I mean... Because I just don't particularly enjoy it. I find it... I find it pretty annoying, really. Um, so I prefer Volcano. I don't want it to ruin Volcano for me. <laughs> I I like it as an updated one. I mean, it's one of the ones that I like being able to have a song on a YouTube album that I can turn up loud. And I mean, I I like turning this up loud, you know. And I'm going to start learning how to play along with it pretty soon, I think. But. <laughs> hmm. I don't know. It's 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 a difficult one. I'm just looking at the, li- the lyrics here again. There's a moment in a life where a soul can die in a person in a country when you believe the lie and then the lie is repeated. So I think again that is directly responding to to Trump and fake news and the lies that 
he brings about and that kind of seeds of hatred that he likes to sow within within American life. There's a promise at the heart of every good dream. It's a call to action, not to fantasy. The end of the dream, the start of what's real. Let it be unity. Let it be community. Through refugees like you and me, a country to receive us, will you be my sanctuary, refugees? Now, a lot of people have had a, a, a go at that last line in particular, saying refugees. Does it does it jar with you? Yeah, I, I hate I, it. I, I hate it. I think I've, put, I've I think I've mentioned that actually. Oh yeah, um, refugees. Worst. It's a worse pun than review two. <laughs> I mean, it, that's what it is. It's pu- It's a pun. I I will accept it on the grounds that what I think Bono's trying to do here is to remind America that it should be acting as a sanctuary for immigration rather than as as, as something that has very very strict walls and borders and being isolationist. And I think what he's doing is he's reminding a particular community, the Christian right, who say that they are Christians and yet would rather not have people coming into the country at all. He's reminding them of the fact that to accept refugees and to give people, to clothe them when they're naked and to feed them when they're hungry, that is what Jesus actually explicitly taught. So do one thing or do the other, but don't call yourself a Christian if you're not ready to accept refugees. Refugees' synergy. Would you clothe a naked Bono? <laughs> would I? Cl- yes, I would. If he came to my door, I would be confused, but I would clothe him, yes. Would you have a pig? No, not we're not getting back to this again. No, <laughs> ridiculous. Okay, so the next track is "Summer of Love," and here we have you two exhibiting their expertise at conveying gentle beauty within a song. I really love this. I, I, I was really happy with the sound of this immediately. I think it, I think it's contemporary. I think it's new ground for for you two. Uh, and I, and this is a track I imagine will be remixed a lot. Uh, I, I think once uh, the, the DJs get their hands on this, it's, it's going to have a, a completely different life of its own. Hmm, I'm not sure. I would I would say it was the first one that I would remix on this album, but I think it definitely sounds contemporary. Sounds a little bit um, like the XX to me, which is I mean that as a complete a good thing. You know that guitar riff at the start sounds very very like them in in a really good way and. I could tell right from the start of this song, you know, first sort of five seconds, this is one I'm going to enjoy. So well produced, so so sharp again. And it's a bit like Flower Child and Summer Rain or A Little While. Those are the songs that went around my head when I started listening to this song, mainly because it's got that title, which I don't like as a title, Summer of Love. And I, my heart kind of sunk when I saw it on the track listing, thinking, mm, is this going to be another one of these weird songs? Yeah, there, love is mentioned way too much in this album. Yeah, I think that's... Love is all we have left. Uh, it's all the way through. Summer of Love. Uh, what was the last one? Love is bigger than anything in its way. Yeah. I mean, Ordinary Love, if you've got the, the looks <laughs> as well. Yeah. This album's about love and light, basically. Yeah, I think we... I think we'll get round to talking about that particularly on that on that last song those whether they are leaning a bit too heavy on certain words and themes um i'm going to defend the title though because i think what this song is all about is it's sort of it's sort of like a trick and it's done really really well on this on this album because you have this idea of summer of love you think oh the 60s or that kind of happy time where everything was meant to be, you know, peace man, all that kind of stuff. And I think it's, it's about California. Yeah, yeah, and you think it's going to be really, really laid back. 
And when you listen to the song, it is very laid back, beautifully produced. But then... But it's ha- not about California. It's, it's no. about a different West Coast. Yeah, exactly. So that's why we get that, um, not the one that everyone knows. And it's a really... It gives this song some actual teeth. And that's what makes it different to say, you know, those other songs like Summer Rain, which is a very nice song. But that is pretty much about dancing in the summer rain. Very nice. Yeah. But this is now linked very, very explicitly to the Syrian situation and the fact that people are driven out of their homeland having to make horrible journeys. And that is covered between this song and the next one as a kind of, as a one-two punch. And it works really well. Both of those land for me very well. Yeah, I, I absolutely love it. This is the, the, the track I wanted to learn straight away. And there are some god-awful versions of people trying to cover this online. Like, really, really terrible. mean. No, no, like, credit where credit's due, and in this case, it isn't. Uh, it, it, I, so, I do have guitar lessons. I, I, I messaged my teacher and said, I, re- I really want to learn this track. Can you figure it out for me? And he struggled. So, it's a hard it's a hard track to, to play because the bass is different and in the, in the mix because it's been messed around with. It sounds like it's just all played on the, on an acoustic guitar, which isn't the case. Mm. Um, but yeah, I can play this now, as I showed for you earlier. Yeah, it was very impressive. Yeah, yeah. Um, Will you be buying my album? No. Right. Okay. Will you be giving it away for free? No. Oh. No. Well, not, no. Not unless iTunes want to pay me for it. I don't think you're going to do very well in this market. No, but I think it's a great song. Uh, definitely uh, my favourite song on the album as we're listening to it going going through mm-hmm. uh, and this starts a change in the album for me where the songs really they really get good and the album starts to find it, it itself it's yeah yeah this this uh, this is the heart of the album i would say summer of love yeah and i think the i think it is that because what you have is the innocence and experience working again it talks about the fact that we've got flowers growing in bomb craters and the fact that even though people might be freezing, leaving, believing all they need is ahead of them. It's to do with that real experience of the world and crisis. And yet there is an element of hope there, that rose growing in the bomb crater. I, I think this is where the album actually succeeds and it, it, go, it, it manages to work out those themes properly. And again, I don't really understand how this album could exist without them having that pause and really thinking about how can we reflect the world that we're living in so yeah i think it i think it works and they actually managed to to walk that tightrope very well and and make it into a nice pop song as well oh yeah it's a fantastic song as well i mean it's kind of the it's if we think back to peace on earth i love the political sentiment behind that song i just do not like the song so they've got both elements here it's it's very catchy and you could have this on in the background and think oh this is just a sort of chilled um almost like Lana Del Rey style style song, you know, talking about the West Coast and all that kind of thing. And I think she's she's great. It's very Tropical House in style. It, um, yeah. it reminds me of a, a song a few years ago um, by Lilywood and the Prick, uh, Prayer in Sea. Okay. Um, just tonally very, very, very similar. Yeah. Um, there's a few others. And again, it's just songs from the last couple of years. I can't, I can't remember them all, but I know there's a sound there that is, you, you know... It's a song, a sound that I like, and it's very contemporary, isn't it? Yeah, very nice and summery. I think this would make a fantastic summer single next year. It's going on my summer playlist for, for sure. Yeah, um, you uh, start organising that well in advance. I see. Yes, got to be prepared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think this is interesting because it brings up the fact that 
a lot of people have, have criticized this um and this is just from the smattering of things that i've, I've seen online I've tr- i have tried to avoid reviews where possible um so i can get my own review out there but a lot of people seem to be saying oh they're trying to sound like kanye west they're trying to sound like lana del rey they're trying to sound like the xx and they are saying that as if you two are a band that haven't always been magpieing and taking bits from other bands. I think it's just some people won't accept that unless it's the era that they grew up and reached musical maturity. And so they're fine when it happens in the unless 90s. Unless you were the first person ever to pick up a musical instrument, you you can't say you're you're an original. Yeah. Because everybody always has been leaning on other people and taking the best bits of other people and yeah. trying to create their own side, trying to create something better. Music is an evolutionary process. Yeah, and you you, you take from others, you beg, borrow, and steal, and that's that's the only way that it develops. So I, I don't have a problem with this. Now, having said that, I do have a problem with a song later on that I think nicks from other sources and doesn't do it very well. To me, it's not about whether you take, it's whether you do it well. And this song takes and it does it really really well red flag day this to me is a real high point of the album it is part of that one-two punch with summer of love but this has got such energy to it when it kicks off at the start there is a kind of i almost i almost again like sort of laughed out loud because of the way that edge has recorded that it's got a sort of surfboard kind of wobble to the um to the guitar that he's got right at the start a real punky energy and this to me feels like an evolution of california it's like they've taken that idea from songs of innocence on california where they've arrived in america and they've added layers and layers of experience so it's still got all of that energy to it but it's gone through this it's gone through this experience lens and this is where the, the album is fulfilling all of the, the necessary criteria for this to be a good double album that means innocence and experience. And there's that constant flickering back and forth. So you've got that chorus, baby, it's a red flag day, but baby, let's get in the water. Taken out by a wave where we've never been before. First listen, you're hearing Bono singing in this kind of sunny way about baby, let's get in the water. You think, oh, he's probably in the south of France, you know, um, on one of his beaches or something like that having a great time but again this is a song that is centered in the syrian refugee crisis and it's all about making that journey through the waves where you've never been before so i think it's fantastic uh well immediately on my first listen um when i heard the line about the wave i thought okay so this links to every breaking wave yep um uh, this song could be about ali and maybe in a way it is as well um, you know, uh, even in older relationships, taking you know, taking risks, doing things you've never done before, mm. doing things that maybe aren't the most advisable, yeah. but to you know, to reach a better place. I think that that metaphor would work pretty well there. Um, I think also that there's a power in listening to a song before you try and research anything about it, and in most cases, I think that is what would happen. Mm. Uh, but I was um, obviously my colleagues know that I'm a big U2 fan and they know about me doing this podcast. So they were, they were asking me to recommend a couple of tracks that they could listen to. Mm. Um, and I said, well, Summer of Love's really good and Red Flag Day is really good. Yeah. So he, Red Flag Day must have been the one that just sunk in into his head. And he looked up 
uh, Red Flag Day on Apple Music, and it comes attached with this quote. Okay. So this shouldn't appear, I don't think, until after you've listened to the track. But this is the this was his introduction to Red Flag Day. I've not seen this quote either, by the way, so go on. Red Flag Day invokes refugees' plight to the sound of the band's early days. Edgy's slashing riffs, Adam's, uh, Adam's counter bass, Larry Mullen Jr.'s steady kit fitness, and Bono's big sky vocals. Hmm. Is it, well, yeah, I guess it's, it's quite explicit, isn't it? Well, There's a better review than I've given. But as soon as he read Red Flag Day invokes refugees' plight, hmm. he didn't want to listen to that song. <laughs> well... <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, there, there is a power in only being able to to look at what it's about after after you've heard the song. I think it's better to yeah, it's better to know the song, to listen to the song, and then get to like its sound and its feeling before that. And I think that's the whole point of the song because the first time I listened to this, I was just thinking, oh wow, this sounds quite upbeat and punky. Yeah, you know? um, it is really really fresh and very different to Summer of Love, but the the two yeah. even in my mind stick together, and that's a section of the album. Yeah, and they they fit really, really well together. Um, and I think up to now, the ordering's been pretty good, apart from, as we said, we weren't maybe sure about... I don't know if we were sure about the best thing or not. Um, yeah, well, I guess... It's reminiscent of Fast Cars, but better. Yeah, it's, well, yeah, I'd say it's definitely better than, than Fast Cars. I mean, this this has a lot more gravitas to it, but I guess Fast Cars is sort of a, a fun song for a, for a fun kind of time. This was one of the songs that the band felt really, really strongly about re-recording based on live performances. So, uh, did they perform this on the Joshua Tree tour? No, but what they did was they, um, at least I don't, maybe they did, but I don't, I don't mm. think they did. But what they wanted to do was avoid the situation. This kind of goes for the whole album. Avoid that situation of the producers saying about six months after the album had been released and they were actually playing the songs live, saying, oh, you really need to record these songs now. It would have been so much better to record them now and they've taken them out for a bit. And they said that going back to this added um, a lot of bite to the process because they'd actually worked out that they need to play it a particular way to get all that energy across. Mm. And I think this is a song that is perfectly produced. If you said, what's the best produced song on this whole album? It might be this one. I absolutely love it, and the 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 bass is is so good. Here. Adam does need a thumbs up here for this particular bass. It's it's really really good. Thank you. <laughs> Taking all of Adam's credit. <laughs> um, we worked hard on that. We worked hard on that. Are you on board with? I mean, I think it's really good that we do have that, that link back to um, every breaking wave, and that will happen again in a in a good way uh, as we as we continue through the album. This is the way I would like them to link the album rather than just repeating rather sections. than repeating lyrics. Yeah, yeah. Um cuz it's it's really made me question what I think about it and how different, you know, how is this its own album? Mm. Which I want to believe it is, but I don't think it is. I think it's a double album. I, well, that makes me put it in the shadow of Songs of Innocence. And I think there are some songs on this album which deserve their own place in their own album. Well, I don't want this to be the, the you know, the song, the Songs of Innocence Part 2. It's difficult to think about it because... I, and I don't know where it places. I, I may not know for a while yet. But if you consider it just as one piece of music that exists, exists together... I haven't listened to the albums back to back. 
I mean, that's a that's an investment of time. I mean, it's a worthy investment, but it's. I mean, I've not had time to do that. Well, think how much time we've invested in this podcast alone. Yeah, well done, guys, for getting this long. We are just about halfway through the album, and it's probably hours into it. Um, I think I think that we've got to do a two part for this. We'll see. Um, this is just delaying proceedings. Really. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to ask about the no bit. So, the bit where Bono says. The one word the sea can't say is no, no, no. And then he goes, no, you know, uh, uh, that to me, I'm still not 100% on. I'm, I'm not sure Bono gets away on this album with stretching out words. I, I, it happens later on in the blackout as well. And it just... I, no, I, I like that. Yeah, I've noticed oh. it, but I, 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 I've noticed it, but I've not noticed it in a negative way. Just Bono needs those, thing, those big things he can shout uh, in a live setting. Okay, fair enough. And I think this album is very live-minded. Yeah, well, that's what I was saying. It was, it was, it was, and they've made it really, really clear that this was re-recorded to make sure that it has that live vitality. So, I think we hit a really good patch of the album. Hmm. Next song. Yes, let's head on. <laughs> 